Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today we have another interview for you. I have uh, here James, James McKinvin. Is that, I actually didn't ask you, is that how I say the, your last name? Yeah, you, you nailed it. Some people butcher it, but you nailed it, Tiago. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting here with The Wannabe Entrepreneurs. I'm delighted to be here. And Tiago, I'm actually dead impressed because often when you go on people's podcasts, there'll be like four or five episodes in, especially at my sort of size. But I looked at your show and you've got over 200 episodes. <laughs> and you know how hard it is to like get to that level with a podcast, to have the perseverance to push through and to record that many episodes. So good for you to get over the 200 mark. Yeah, thank you. So first of all, I think I also told you this, my first episodes were daily uh, yeah. podcasts, right? So I recorded from my phone. I used this app called Anchor and I recorded from my phone and uh, the quality was not the best, but I wanted to do something different. I wanted to to do the Casey Neistat to be the Casey Neistat. And I know that you also like Casey Neistat. I wanted to be the Casey Neistat of, of podcasting, you know, with the daily uh, blogs. I called it blogs, you know, instead of vlogs, vlogs, I call it podcast logs. Uh, but I, I soon realized that uh, there was not enough content for that, and my life was not that interesting. So then I, I switched to the format that I have now, which is uh, two episodes per week. Tiago, I disagree entirely. I reckon you'd absolutely have interesting content to share every day. I think it's such a good muscle to train if you can create a bit of content every day. Pat Walls, Alex West, two indie hackers that have done daily blogging in the past, and they always have something interesting to share, even if it is really small. And mm -hmm. so I, th I think you could definitely have stuff, interesting stuff to share. Yeah. But it's also interesting you use Anchor at the start because yeah. I also got my start into podcasting really? using Anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd like, I'd be walking to the train station for my agency job. And I just decided I would, uh, every time I walked to the station, I'd record something random. And I wish I could sort of dig out these recordings because they were awful. They were complete ramblings. But the more you do it, the more you get into being yeah, able to articulate your definitely. thoughts better, um, bring your thoughts and turn them into something actually interesting and cohesive. Yeah. So so the story how I started it. So I, I had just started my, my bootstrapping career. And I think I was like in the toilet or something. And I said, well, what is this app? <laughs> oh, Anchor. Okay. I start your podcast in seconds, something like that. And I, without even noticing, I was like starting my first episode i was like okay let me let me just record something and i just spoke the first thing that came to my to my mind and uh, without even noticing i had my first episode on spotify it was super easy so then i was like okay <laughs> now that i started i will i will just continue how did you do your first interview then oh that, that came that came much later that came much later um so i guess after maybe the first 30 40 episodes i decided it would be also interesting to start bringing other people yeah uh, and then I didn't use uh, Anchor. I used uh, uh, Zencaster. No, first I used some other tool. It was terrible. I don't remember. Mm. And then um, I started using Zencaster. Who was your first guest? Do you remember? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's a friend of mine, uh, Wolfgang. And he has been in the show also multiple times. He's also an indie hacker. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but James, I, I realized that I didn't properly, properly introduce you here. <laughs> so uh, let me just say here to, to the peeps that listen to The Wannabe Entrepreneur, that uh, James is the host of uh, another indie hacking uh, podcast called Indie Bytes, and probably a lot of people know. It's featured in the Indie Hackers website, which I very much envy. 
And uh, it's it's. I was doing a little bit of research on you, and you, we have actually similar paths. You also quit your job in 2021 to focus on your indie hacking career, and then you also started a freelancing agency called Podpen, where you help other people with podcasting services. So super interesting. You are a member of the Weekend Club, my competitor, and I, I've been interviewing <laughs> a lot of people that are in the Weekend Club. So more and more, this uh, this clash between the two communities is is becoming real. <laughs> One day I have to interview Charlie, actually. I think it would be really fun. Um, and yeah, today we'll be chatting about your uh, your journey. We'll be chatting about uh, exchanging notes, you know, on, on podcasting and podcasting for indie hacking. So I'm super excited. I have so many questions that I would love to to learn from you. Uh, and to start things off, I, I would love also to, to ask you to describe uh, who is James and how did this journey in the in the indie hacking career started mm, yeah well thank you for a lovely intro i always wanted to be an entrepreneur i always wanted to run my own business uh didn't know what that was going to be but ever since i was younger i just i like the idea of working for myself earning lots of money and entrepreneurship for me was the route to that and even in my first couple of jobs i had um at marketing agencies or whatnot I I was always like, oh, I, I I could do a better job of this myself. And I, I couldn't, like absolutely not. My boss and other colleagues were talented. But yeah, o- always wanted to do my own thing. So on the side of my jobs, I was uh, trying to do video work, like video freelancing. Uh, when I was growing up, like Casey Neistat was making a ton of YouTube videos. So I basically knew how to use a camera to some sort of level so wanted to build a video production agency uh was also just trying to earn any money any way i could outside of work so anytime anyone approached me for any of my skills marketing audio video i would say yes and do it so uh, every now and then i'd make like two or three hundred pound on the side and every time i'd earn a bit of money i'd love it in fact i remember the first bit of additional money I earned was after I'd left my first job, which was like a housing association in the UK, went to the marketing agency. And uh, while I was at that previous job, I was making like case study videos for them, um, success stories. And Mm -hmm. uh, on my first holiday, like my first week off, I took from my new job, I went back to the old job and said, can I make some more of these case study videos for you at £100 a go? And they said, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. They were thinking I'd maybe do two or three, £300, great. Mm-hmm. I came back and I did 12 of these videos, like just wow. in a week, shot 12, like arranged and shot all of them. Then I went to my old boss and I said, right, look, I've got these 12 videos, that'll be £1,200, please. <laughs> and he was like, wait, 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 what do you mean you've done 12? And I was like, I've done 12 videos. And he said, no, but... And he was trying to be really nice (laughs) about it. He was like, we really don't have the £1,200 to pay you. Um, And I was like, well, I've done the 12 videos. So I... Um, and he, he was good about it. He ended up paying all of it. But oh, that nice. was a, a funny story of my first sort of dabble into earning my own money. And like when I wanted to start a business, I wanted it to be huge, massive business. It, I was working in London. I was seeing all these VC companies in London start up uh, a lot in the fintech scene. You have Monzo, Revolut, those sorts of companies. I wanted to either work at a company like that or start a company like that. Then I read Paul Jarvis's Company of One. 
Great book, mm. still love it. And it completely changed my perspective. And that's when I discovered the indie hackers movement and this group of people who were building small, profitable, sustainable businesses that were between 5, 20K a month and they were making it a better life for themselves. And so I, I started hanging around with more indie hackers in London. There's a community called Indie Beers and Indie London. Uh, now also Weekend Club and Ramen Club. So started hanging out with those guys uh, four years ago, some really cool people there, like Sabra and Tim from Veed. Uh, I remember on the early days when they were just starting out, we'd all go to the pub and chat for a few hours. And actually last night, four years later, we're still going to the pub every <laughs> month, probably between 30 and 60 of us uh, descend wow, on the Bricklayers Arms in Shoreditch and just have a lovely time chatting. So you um, just chat about uh, your projects, you chat about the indie hacking, what, what do you chat about? Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first went, I, I saw it as a networking event. I was going to lots of these networking events uh, in marketing or in video marketing or other agency owners. Uh, but Indie Biz was the one that I really started to realize there's other people like me who mm -hmm. uh, wanted to start their businesses, who were ambitious and... Yeah, so it, it was like networking at first and this over content, overconfident 19-year-old guy would go up and say, oh yeah, I'm building a video marketing agency, what are you doing? Um, and I remember I met Gray Baker there and Gray is the founder of Dependabot. Mm. Uh, recently, well not recently, a few years ago sold to GitHub. And when I first met Gray, I was like, oh, Gray, what are you working on? And he was like, oh, Dependabot. And I was like, I've got no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> How much money, how much revenue are you doing? He was like 7K a month. I was like, what? <laughs> 7,000? And I thought this was like the dream. Like yeah. how, how can one person build a business to 7,000 pound a month? Like what I could do is 7,000 pound a month. And I I thought it was just, I, th I saw Gray as like this. What a guy, yeah. what a guy. Yeah. Um, so, what yeah. do you think of it now? 7,000 a month? Yeah, I mean... There's more people who have got to 7K and yeah. beyond, and it is much more achievable than I first thought. Um, and For me, it still feels very, very hard to achieve. I yeah. would be so happy with 7K a month. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, I, I think everyone, uh, all indie hackers are talented, right? And I think anyone could earn that amount of money, maybe not MRR-wise, mm -hmm. but through freelancing or contracting yeah, 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 yeah. um it, it is harder to do with the SaaS, but i think mm -hmm. if you want to earn that amount of money outside of your job or on your own i think it is very possible if you're talented at what you do yeah and many yeah. people are definitely so your background was marketing and you're working in that area right yeah it was working in marketing i worked for a marketing agency for a few years in soho in london had an absolute blast. It was a small agency at the start, like mm -hmm. 10 people. And then we got acquired and we went to a big agency. Uh, I like had some of my best times there. Yeah. It was good fun, but it, it was a B2B marketing agency. I worked on our HubSpot account. So mm. I implemented HubSpot for our clients. And then right. I ran, built and ran campaigns through HubSpot for them. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you liked it so much, um, why did you decide to leave then? Was the uh, urge to be an entrepreneur... Yeah. I mean, to, you know, the calling was calling too, too loud or something. I, I, I guess I, I think I must look back on it more uh, more fondly than right. I thought of yeah, it in yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, like on reflection, 
I thought, yeah, I had some really good times there. But don't get me wrong, Tiago, I, I would like never want that again for me because I love how much flexibility I have in my life mm -hmm. right now. I love what I do. I love control over what I do. I didn't have much autonomy in the work that I did. Yeah. But yeah. at that point in my life, as like a 20-year-old, it was amazing. It was good fun. Like I learned so much. I got thrown in the deep end but I'll probably speak to my dad about the many phone calls I've had with him when I was stressed out at work or frustrated with how we were doing things. But I, I still get on with my old boss there. She's actually a client of mine now still. Oh, um, cool. But yeah, look back on it fondly, but probably wouldn't want to do it now. Yeah, I have the, the exact same uh, experience with, with the companies I work for. I, I work for uh, Truvago this yeah. uh, hotel comparison company. And we had so much fun there. Like uh, I met a lot of my friends are still from, from uh, those days, but uh, yeah, I just know that now I, I much prefer to, to do my own thing because it's a different kind of purpose. You know, when, when you're kind of chasing your own goals and dreams and not working for others or working yeah. in others goals, it's a uh, it's a completely different story that I I, I, I hated agree. building equity for someone else when I thought I had the ability to do it for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we, we need to have that kind of uh, quote unquote arrogance, right? As as an entrepreneur, I, I was about to say it, yeah. but it, it sounds arrogant, but um, it, it's true. And you, you do you do need a little bit of that. So tell me about the the period of time where you decided to stop your uh, working for for others and start building your uh, own. Uh, in the hacking career. Yeah. Well, I was saying to you before this, that it wasn't like a completely linear thing or it wasn't a, uh, okay, I've decided that now I'm going to quit my job and be an indie hacker. So I left my job, my last employed salary job about a year ago. And that was on from the agency. I was working full-time in-house um, at a market research firm. But funnily enough, they're still a client of mine um, for podcasting. But it was sort of September, November 2020. Pandemic was sort of full, full flow mm -hmm. in the UK. Uh, but I just got the opportunity to, to do my biggest ever uh, moonlighting client gig on the side. And that was to make YouTube videos for Riverside. And okay. this was a massive gig for me. It was three and a half thousand dollars a month extra in addition to my salary, which was like... Wow. Two thousand pounds, so uh, I was probably like seven thousand dollars ish a month. So I was like doubling my salary through doing this freelancing. That's amazing. And the thing about these videos, I had three videos to do a week, and I could do them whenever I want. And I was like, that's pretty cool that I can do these videos whenever I want on my schedule. What about if I could do that full time? Just not have to worry about working for my full time job and like being online nine to five uh, i liked being able to uh, go and play tennis and golf during the day and i speak a lot about that now because i take so much joy from doing that and yeah. having flexibility over my schedule so this riverside kid came along it, it didn't pan out as well as i thought it was going to tiago because okay. i ran into mental health issues and hmm. depression and burnout and stuff that i'd never experienced before in my life i never because quite you're working it. both both jobs at the same exactly. time exactly mm. both jobs at the same time i also had some other smaller things i was running my podcast at the time mm. so indie bite started sort of september 2020 okay. um, so I, I had like a lot on i was doing too much and also i didn't particularly enjoy working 
the Riverside. I like the idea of the fact that I was doing these videos, right. but there was like a lot of changes and what my vision of the videos was different to theirs and they were the client and I, I just had to, yeah. to try and do it. And then I get frustrated and annoyed Um had issues with like hitting deadlines and I still do. It's something I'm working on at the moment. And so, yeah, that I just sort of crumbled mentally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it took me 18 months to recover from that fully. Well, and the whole time it was like the worst year of my life. Um, even though from the outside, so many things look to be going well. So at the start of 2021, I was going through this depression stuff. I'd taken a pause from doing the Riverside videos, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't love doing my job at the time. Um, so I, I had to think about this. And then in February, spoke to Riverside, agreed to do their videos again, and spoke to my other job and said, can I go down to part-time? Because in theory, I was like, I want more of this work that I can do with flexibility, but right. there is some sort of trade-off I need. How about I go on less time on uh, the job that is like pinning me to, to my desk? Yeah for a number of hours a week. So that way I still had like a regular paycheck coming in, mm -hmm. but I had more time to do these Riverside videos. But then the same sort of, I ran into the same sort of issues and sort of three months later, I stopped doing the videos and left my job because everything got a bit much for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it, the, the, you, you mean, so what actually caused these issues? Was it like too much work? Was it the fact that uh, they wouldn't give you the freedom you wanted to explore your creativity and to make the videos in your own way? Was it some something else? Uh, what yeah, caused these issues? Man, I don't know. And I, I went through a lot of exploring to try and figure this out. I went to therapy. I had a, uh, as much journaling and reflecting, speaking mm -hmm. to family. Like I remember thinking, like, what is going wrong? What is happening here? Like, yeah. why am I feeling like this? Why am I not doing the work? Why is everything just so crap? And yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I, I don't know what it was. Some of those things you mentioned, yeah, maybe. It could have been not having full creative control when I wanted it. It could have been working too hard. It could have been a culmination of things. It could have been the fact we were in another lockdown and yeah. I was suffering the, with a lot of loneliness. Yeah. And uh, I, I think back to that point, and I, I was probably in my flat five days a week uh, mm -hmm. without leaving. And my family was saying to me, like, James, just go out for a walk. Just do something. Yeah. And ever since then, I like to get out every single day to do something active. It's like almost without fail, I will go out. Without fail, I will now take breaks. And yeah. just because it's it, it, likely a culmination of all of those things. Mm -hmm. Are you better now to identify when you're getting closer to this kind of uh, yeah, breakdowns? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm super grateful that right now I'm feeling as good as I am. Yeah. And it, it's probably been about two months where I've been really happy and content with nice. things and just in a real good place. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I don't know if I'm like noticing any signs of when that happens again, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to put in measures even though I'm feeling good. Yeah. So a couple of That's weeks clever. ago, you might have seen us on Twitter. I took like a full day off, like a completely full day off. This wasn't, I'm going to take a day off and do something else, like go and 
play golf or go and yeah. see my family. I was doing nothing, Tiago. Wow. <laughs> I was going to wake up. I was going to put on some films. I was going to put on some video games. I was going to order delivery. Um, I w- was just going to have a lazy slob day. And you know what? I really <laughs> needed it. I yeah. really needed yeah. it because I came back the, a day later thinking, wow, yeah, that was that was really nice yeah. just to do absolutely nothing. Uh, and so I, I'm trying to give myself days off when I do do other things and go mm-hmm. out and just close my laptop. And I'm trying to give myself days where I'm doing nothing for a complete break. I found that extremely hard to do. So hard. I had to like plan this two weeks in advance. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I also enjoy working on my projects. So I could say to myself, well, I'm going to take a day off from client work, but I'm going to work on Indie Bytes. But mm-hmm. that's not going <laughs> to, that's not going to, have the intended uh, outcome because although i do enjoy working on indie bites it's not going to give me the rest and the break that we all really need Mm -hmm. yeah i I think it's a mindset shift that you need to do when you start this indie hacking career because when you're working for someone else there are certain comforts that are really nice for instance you work maybe nine to five and then you Mm. can go home and afford to do nothing you have your holidays you have your (laughs) unemployment fee yeah you have a lot of comforts you have even what i noticed when i when i left trivago was that all my life was managed by trivago so my friends were there my sports were there my food was there and that's what a lot of these tech companies do nowadays. Like, you don't need to worry about yeah. anything. You can even put your kids there. They have, like, kindergartens and everything. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. And then you notice that, okay, now it's everything you have to manage. You have to decide even when do you get to take holidays. Before, you would like, okay, I want to take holidays. Let me ask my boss. And then the boss will make the decision, right? And now you are the boss. So you have to make yeah. this this decision. And and this, in, in the beginning, I really, really struggled uh, with this with the pressure or not knowing what to stop and, and, and definitely like doing the podcast, doing the wannabe entrepreneur. I, I, I keep on saying that this is what is saving me because it's like a, a, a very therapeutical for me because on, on Thursdays I do, I do these interviews, but on, on Tuesdays I just speak my mind. I, I share with this audience w- what is going on. And, and I, I'm, I'm very much not only in, in my business, but also like personally and that, really helps for me also to figure out things and so on. And uh, but but you just told me that you, you started Indie Bytes actually before you you quit your your job for good and, and started the Indie Hacker career. Tell me about this. Like why did you start this this podcast? Uh, yeah in Indie Bytes was born out of I, I had another podcast called Marketing Mashup that I started years ago, like when I was still at the agency. Mm-hmm. And that was my first friend podcasting, speaking to different people within marketing, different marketing disciplines, influencer marketing. I had the HubSpot CEO on. It was an awesome, really fun podcast for me. But as I started getting more into indie hacking and less of the marketing, more interested in this community of entrepreneurs, more so communities of marketers, I just didn't love doing that anymore. And I was also struggling with editing these long hour episodes. Like I, I was just frustrated with them. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, why don't I just speak to indie hackers and make it short, like make it a 15 minute conversation because so many podcasts are just long, hour long shows with very little editing. Uh, I really like listening to Nathan Latka's show, uh, but I always think he's like a little bit pushy. I was like, mm-hmm. what if I just sort of took Latka's model, but made it a bit more fun and nice and just for indie hackers? Yeah, yeah. 
So that's what I did. My first episode was with Charlie Ho- Charlie Ward of Ramen Club. Oh. And then uh, Harry Dry of Marketing Examples. Then Anne-Law Lecunf of uh, Nest Labs. Mm-hmm. And I got some really good guests on early, including Courtland, mm-hmm. which was like episode yeah, yeah, yeah. five or seven. Yeah. But so you still record a full interview, right? Like a one hour interview. And then you, <laughs> you kind of edit that down to 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely the the plan initially to just stick to like a 15, 20 minute recording and publish that, like make it almost quick fire questions. And uh, it was like that for the first few episodes. Um, Some of them maybe went on to 30 minutes until Cortland's episode where we spoke Mm. for over an hour. And I then edited it down into the 15 minute conversation. And I was like, actually, this is quite a good model because these 15 minutes are the best 15 minutes. Yeah. I think it's still plenty of time to tell a good story. Like if you think about it, uh, YouTube videos are five, 10 minutes and they tell a good story. TV True. adverts are 30 to 60 seconds and they tell a story. TikToks are five to 15 seconds and they also tell a story. So I thought 15 minutes was plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And I-, I just started recording for an hour with people or longer. Just like would have a conversation like this, let it meander around a bit. And then in the edit, I would tighten it up. I would tell Mm -hmm. the story in that 15 minute format. And that also led me to start the Indie Feast membership, which is I would just release those long conversations. So those people that did want the long ones could just listen to that. Yeah. And and that's also very interesting when, when I learned about that, because your podcasts, the 15 minute ones are free, right? Everyone can listen. But then they can pay to access to the full conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are there a lot of people paying for it? No, twenty-five, something like that. It does like a okay. hundred pound a month, something like that. Um, mm. I personally don't see that much value in it, Tiago. I'll be yeah. honest with you, and I shouldn't be saying that because that doesn't help me with sales. <laughs> but I think the value is in these fifteen-minute short episodes. Yeah. But people really like listening to the longer ones. I'm yeah, just not one of those. They do. Uh, yeah. And I always want that 15-minute episode to be free because it is supported by sponsors and I want it to be a source of inspiration okay. for people. Yeah. I don't want people to have to pay for it. However, mm. if they do want the longer conversation and it's like extra work for me to produce that longer conversation, publish it, do the show notes, just a small amount and that mm-hmm. helps support me and they get the longer version. Yeah. I, I found that that system so clever actually because... One of the big struggles, or I guess there's two big struggles with with podcasting. Once you have your show and people like it, I think for me at least the big, the first big struggle is to grow it to get more uh, listeners. Yeah, uh, and the second is monetization, right? So you can do ads, but ads, uh, I guess normal ads, they you need a lot of listeners to actually make money. So you can do sponsorships, which I guess it's a bit easier. But if you don't want to do that, it's extremely hard, right? Uh, and I, I have a membership, and that's how kind of uh, the WB space started. Uh, people, I can ask for people to, to buy me a coffee, but if people already have it for free, they won't pay for it. Like yeah, the percentage yeah, of people yeah. that will actually pay for it and become patron or something, it, it's very low. Uh, so I really enjoy this, this concept of, uh, okay, you get this 15 minutes for free, but then if you want to more, if you want to listen to more things... Um, you can pay. I found that very, very clever. Of course, it's extra work for you. I I, I know people that uh, will do the same sort of thing, but they'll cut off the recording after 15 minutes. Mm. So it'll be, if you want to hear the rest of this, subscribe yeah. to the membership. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's a smarter model. You will likely get more people to sign up for it if you do that. 
but uh, I have a lot of pride in the podcast being yeah. the best 15 minutes and for people that don't want to pay. Um, and the people that do get a lot of value from it will support me through that membership, even if they don't have an intention to listen to the exactly. longer episodes. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've actually had a bit of back and forth with that membership because it's not doing huge amounts of money. I don't love publishing the longer episodes, but I know there are a certain group of people that want them. I'm doing £100 a month with it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. People are yeah, paying me really to do good. that. Yeah. But I'm thinking of repositioning it instead of being a monthly thing because I have pressure to then re release an extended episode every month, even if I don't record longer. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to switch it to a yearly membership, which you do get these longer episodes when I release them, but there's less pressure of me right. to force a longer right. episode right. and there'll be more benefits like discounts on my other products so mm -hmm. my agency uh my course my leather mm -hmm. wallets and just some other fun things yeah. in there but it's more about supporting me as a creator yeah um there's a there's a cool model called unlocking the commons which is about like patrons supporting you as a creator exactly, because the traditional yeah. ad model doesn't like support people yeah really. yeah and, and on patreon you can also people can also pay um every time you release something. So that's something you can also do, right? So yeah. you say every time I release an extended version is $4. Uh, and then you don't have the pressure of always having to release every month. But you know, once you release, you get some, you get some money out of it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do that logistically though. Like, uh, do I send that then to people via uh, email? Like I email them the MP3 file. The good thing about the I membership. think Patreon supports it. You, you can just, I, I've never tried it, but I, I've, I, I'm Patreon of uh, some people that... It's th that's how it works. You can just say, okay, I want to support every time they release something and you release on Patreon and they'll get notified. Yeah, but then like, how do people listen to that? Like, on give, Patreon. Give, yeah. yeah, but people don't, people listen yeah. to podcasts in their podcast app, yeah, not true. on Patreon. True, so true, what are they going to do that? Yeah. So they, are they going to actually open the Patreon app to listen specifically to your podcast? Yeah. Um, whereas I like just giving them a feed where every time I release an Indie Feast episode, they're already a member and they just get it in their feed. Yeah. There's less friction that way. Yeah, true. Because one, one thing that I noticed is I, I'm also really proud of, of the wannabe entrepreneur. I really like doing it and I put a lot of love and effort into it and annoys me that then I would have to produce extra content to actually monetize it, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to monetize with the work I'm doing, right? Yeah, so yeah. One, one of the things I thought is like, okay, why not just making it a paid podcast? But then these platforms don't support it, right? Like I still want people on Spotify, on Apple, on podcasts to listen to it. But if I'm making it behind a paywall, then I cannot use these platforms. Yeah, man, I, I still think uh, the ad model is a good way to you like support it? podcasts, mm -hmm. even small podcasts. Like I, I make my, uh, I literally make enough to make a living through the podcast, through ads. Mm -hmm. And my podcast isn't massive. And I think it's very achievable to get to this number of listeners if you've got good content. And uh, it's, it's far easier in my experience, to sell to sponsors than it is to sell to mm -hmm. individuals on another monthly subscription for them. Right. Uh, I like having that as like an additional thing, diversifying the income from the pod, but still like the 95% of the podcast income mm -hmm. comes from sponsors. So tell me how does that process go? Like how many listeners do you need to have or a big of an audience you need to have before approaching um, sponsors? Do you, do you know this story? Do you know that I monetized from the second episode? No, I didn't know. Yeah, okay. So uh, I, I, I 
preach this a lot to people as well and in my course. The course is $99. I say to people, if you can just charge $25 an episode for your first four episodes, your money's paid back for the course. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think people can do that if you are committing to make a good regular show that you're committing to grow. And I think some, some people don't want that. They're like, they don't want the pressure of having sponsors and committing to it. That's fine. But I knew from the very start of Indie Bites that I wanted to earn some money from this. Right. And I wanted to get sponsors that would actually benefit listeners. So I'm picky about who sponsors the show. It must be a product or a service that I think is actually useful and actually interesting to people mm -hmm. or to my yeah. listeners, to Indie Hackers. The other element of that is that I know that people often skip or zone out when they yeah. hear podcast ads. So I try to make it as interesting as possible and try and make it as entertaining as possible. I do a new ad read every time. If I do, I rewrite them. Uh, sometimes I bring on the founder of that product to like put into a mini ad slot. Oh, Masters of Scale. Yeah, yeah exactly. Masters of Reed Hoffman. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a really fun way to do it. So people... Uh, engage with the sponsor but yeah I, I knew I wanted to get money from the start and so I just asked my friends <laughs> I said I'm starting this podcast called Indie Bites uh, I wondered if you want to sponsor it it's really cheap to start with it's $25 to sponsor one episode right now I'm getting 30 40 downloads but over time as this podcast grows that one sponsor slot you bought will grow because right. People go through the back catalogue. As I start getting 500, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 listens an episode, people are going to go through. And you've got that sponsor slot for $25. <laughs> um, That's a very good sales pitch. <laughs> so th there's that. And then uh, I also say, if you also jump in on these first few episodes, you're a value customer for life. Here's 25% off for all sponsor slots. And so Charlie from Ramen Club sponsored me for the very, well, he was the first interview i did so he was episode one and he sponsored mm -hmm. from episode two and when i was first starting out he agreed to sponsor every episode that i didn't have a sponsor for and he's actually my most recent biggest sponsor he just bought 10 episodes at 225 pound an episode so it's wow. been really cool even though the podcast has grown 10 times the price has grown mm -hmm. 10 times charlie's also growing with ramen club so he's, yeah. he's still supporting me so i'm really grateful for that and what, what, how big is your audience at the moment? Yeah, I get about a thousand listens an episode. Thousand. So it's like, it's not a huge podcast. And I think a lot of people can get to that number. I was just speaking to my friend, actually, just yesterday, who is just starting a podcast. He runs a video agency, so he knows it's going to be good quality. He secured a first month sponsor for £600 a month. Whoa. So um, he also had confidence in his ability to produce a good show yeah. and grow it. And he had that agreement with the sponsor. Mm -hmm. Wow, you, you're getting me convinced to start trying, actually. I, I, I've always said to my listeners that um, that I don't, I don't want to do ads because, I know, part of me really does not like this concept of ads because also being a bootstrapper and knowing how hard it is for me without money to do marketing and get people in my products, it and also kind of frustrates me that companies can just pay, uh, you know, and, and then they they can just get their word across. And, and for me, it's so hard. But on the other hand, of course, you can also decide to pick the companies yeah, exactly. that you that you want to support, right? Like 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 you do with, with the Weekend Club, for instance, or Ramen Club. Ra right? Ramen Club now, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I am splitted. I, I don't know what, um, what 
I want to do morally. But I also like, I had like an epiphany uh, recently speaking with Dagobert actually, that maybe the reason why I somehow in the back of my head criticize people that do ads is because I'm afraid that no one would like to do ads in my podcast, mm. you know? So it's better to just say, ah, no, they are crap. And that's why I don't do it. Instead of saying like, it's because I cannot do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's very open and honest of you to say that. And yeah. I think it's a, a good bit of self-reflection. You're right. I, I do try and find ads or products that are interesting for people and also like it's beneficial for everyone like every party benefits from it right mm. uh, the brand benefits from the audience the audience benefits from a good and interesting product for them hopefully right. and i benefit as a creator because i'm now able to make a living from it yeah so it's like a really nice way to monetize something mm -hmm. the, when it does go wrong as you were pertaining to was when like th it's not a good product or the product doesn't match the audience or if it's just being done for money i know that charlie with ramen club it's a community that i love being a part of and people who listen would really benefit from being part of this community so i'm happy to recommend it to people mm -hmm. so it yeah. just it works for everyone mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, how long are your ads, actually? No, I don't. Uh, I, I say it's like a 30-second slot, but they go seconds. on longer if I want them to. Um, mm -hmm. I always say to sponsors, they don't have any creative control on what okay. goes into the sponsor. Okay. I ask for like a script, talking points you want to get across, but ultimately I'm the one that puts, um, puts the ad together. Okay. And okay. I want it to sound interesting and as if it's exactly. like a personal recommendation from me to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, do they give you the analytics, like how many people click? Uh, okay, yeah. They have so th this is something that's really hard with podcasting because it's not a direct attribution advertising model. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not like you're going to get loads of traffic and loads of clicks. It is much more in the realm of TV advertising and brand awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works best if you sponsor multiple episodes. I've had people ask me to sponsor a single episode and I've said, mm, you might want to reconsider. Like, I'm happy to do the one episode, but you might want to reconsider and get a few because if it's just one, it probably won't stick in people's mind. Whereas mm -hmm. people that listen to the show regularly, the HRS are another sponsor. They sponsored 15 episodes. Every week I'm recommending HRS. That is now going into people's heads. Yeah. So every time they're thinking about, oh, I need to do SEO, um, what tool should I use? Oh, James recommended HRS and IndieBytes. He's told me about it 15 exactly. times now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I should go for. And there's no mm -hmm. way of attributing that to my podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And uh, some companies don't understand that and yeah. they want to the direct attribution marketing models uh advertising models that's fine they can go to facebook they can do their ads yeah but for those that understand that it's more than just return on ad spend uh like mike from upvotee he has been another great supporter of the pod he's like i don't mind how <laughs> if i get any sales back from this yeah. like I'm, I'm spending 200 pound on an ad slot uh, my lifetime value is i don't know what his is maybe five six hundred so if i get one yeah. from one slot over time that's cool yeah. but and they um, are betting on you too right they, they yeah, are betting yeah, yeah. that you will uh, grow exactly. so it's also it's also very and i'm super grateful for that like yeah. the, the support of this community the indie hacker community is by far the most kind awesome supportive community i've ever come across in my life i agree yeah yeah well besides on reddit <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah 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 reddit and hacker news 
Is is it okay? Uh, so now I have more than 200 episodes. Can I sell the slots from episodes that I released previously? I don't know. I've never done that. Um, is that like dynamic ad insertion on your... Uh, I mean, you can always edit and, and publish it again, right? So you can yeah, just say, yeah. okay, it um, is. Probably. You probably mm-hmm. can. I, I don't know how much you charge for that because I don't know how many yeah. like, listeners yeah. your back catalog does. You, you may be able to approach uh, a sponsor and offer them the entire back catalog well, for yeah. a nice sum and say, look, I don't know how much these will get per episode, but as a whole, I get this many downloads a month and part of that is... Uh, well, subtract the amount of mm-hmm. downloads you get from the four episodes or however many you do a month uh, from the total from that month. And then yeah, what you're left smart. with is what yeah. you get a month from the entire rest of the back catalog. Yeah, yeah it's very smart. So w- one of the ways I use also my, my podcast is a, uh, as a marketing channel, right? So I, I use it as a way also to attract people to the community. That's where I, I make the money at the moment. And also to create a brand, right? So that people, when you have a podcast in whatever area, but in my case, in the hacking world, they kind of say, okay, Tiago is a reference because he has a podcast. He was able to speak with all these people and so on. Do you also use uh, IndieBytes for that to maybe bring people to your uh, to uh, your business, PodPanda? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've even sponsored my own podcast. Mm. <laughs> when, I, when I launched my course, I sponsored my own show. And like, when, when you got an asset <laughs> like that, why not? Uh, but yeah, it, it's certainly been helpful for my personal brand, like yeah. for people knowing me as, oh, he's the guy who runs Indie Bites. Right. And that in turn helps my other other projects. Like say so Panda, yeah, is my main earner, but a mm. lot of that still is direct sales. But I, I don't think I would have met the people that I'm selling to if it wasn't for the podcast. Yeah. So actually having this audience putting out content every week and also no more mondays my other podcast mm-hmm. that really helps with it uh, because i'm always putting content out there i'm always trying to introduce myself to new people new yeah. listeners yeah. and i think that definitely does help my other projects mm-hmm. yeah i think it also it would be weird for you to be um helping people with their podcasts without having a podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> you oh, know oh. It's, it's much more credible when you see okay i have this podcast with this amount of people and i really know what i'm doing i'm not just telling you that i know a hundred percent and like uh I, I like have this idea that I want a mini podcast network for myself. Um, so having multiple shows that I run, produce, and or host uh, mm. all under Indeed, this podcast, Pop Panda podcast network. Uh-huh. Yeah. I also wanted to understand uh, how, how to grow a podcast. I think that would be really interesting. But before that, uh, you, by mentioning this uh, network of podcasts, I, it made me think of Gimlet Media and mm. how Gimlet Media was uh, they are really pros. I, I mean, uh, Alex Bloomberg, it, it's, it's amazing. It, it, that's the reason why I started podcasting, you know, it's because of the startup podcast, right? Where he basically shared the journey of him creating Gimlet Media. It was so well produced. What, what are the, the podcasts that really kind of inspired you to to love podcasting and to also create your own? Yeah, what did I listen to at the time? Uh, by far, how I built this, Guy Raz, the NPR mm-hmm. show, was my favorite podcast. It pretty much still is. The production value, the research that goes into it. When Guy is interviewing someone, he knows exactly what he wants them to say. Yeah. And I take a lot of inspiration from that. Uh, when mm-hmm. when I'm interviewing people, I want to know their story before I even interview them. 
like a guy now has mm. like a research team so it's very well prepared but i, I like to go hard into research mm -hmm. where i can it's not a podcast but hot ones by sean evans oh, right, on, yeah. on youtube that's mm -hmm. a similar thing where the questions he asks guests are so deep rooted in research it makes for such interesting content and not mm -hmm. only that the, the concept of it is pretty asking uh, famous people questions while they increasingly yeah. hotter food yeah hotter it's very rooms. interesting yeah yeah so there that, is yeah. this difference between um kind of youtube podcasts or for let's let's take joe rogan as an example yeah i i don't consider that a podcast because for me podcast what? is on only audio like for me it's no you put no, on you put on Thiago. your headphones no yeah but that's no. a talk show for me like if i have to watch it on youtube you don't have to watch it but but you do i mean you if, do, if you don't i listen to well, yeah back you do? before jay rogan was uh, i i used to listen well i've listened to some of his shows just as audio you don't have to watch it in fact it's arguably not as much made for video as it is for audio it's just some people like to consume that the benefit of recording with video is you can turn them into smaller clips like yeah, more youtube sized true, clips that people true. can watch like i, I yeah no i don't well, think i don't i don't find it a audience. podcast because well, and i think you mentioned this in one of the interviews you you, you had and i listened to when you're focusing only on audio, you are picking up small things. You know, th small things that uh, Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet Media uses this so well. Like when he, he, he uses his breath, you know, to so that you can feel how mm. tense the situation is. That's amazing. That's art for me because it's really tra transferring this feeling. When you are watching with your eyes, these kind of details, you just lose them. And that's kind of what I, I like watching uh, Joe Rogan's podcasts. Because I'm I'm getting other information from that, but for me that's kind of a talk show, right? Like if I'm just listening to it, I don't know. I, I, I I'm I'm not really too sure. You can call like the the number one podcast uh, by downloads that uh, not a podcast. It is, it yeah. Is. But it, it's it's like the talk show format. Alex Bloomberg's startup is much more of a narrative show. Um, right, right. Uh, interesting thing about video and audio, right? People ask me why Indie Bytes isn't video. I mm -hmm. do agree with you to a point that it it just wouldn't work as video. Like I I record I see people when I'm recording, so I can right. uh, look into their eyes when I'm asking them questions, Tiago. But uh, the amount of editing that goes into it, the yeah. music I use, the amount of cuts that are there, it would just look too jarring as video. And I don't think video adds any much to it. But where like Joe Rogan, uh, Stephen Bartlett's show is another good example. Diary of a CEO. They have lots of cameras it's very well produced and they can turn it into this social media machine of pumping out reels TikToks, exactly, yeah, yeah. um youtube videos clips and that's where the benefit of recording in video mm -hmm. comes in i would love also to get more into this like how to grow your your podcast and i would love to also get your example right so you started indie bytes you said that you had in the beginning like 30 40 downloads and then you're able to grow it how did you how did you do that? Yeah. So we, we were having a little DM conversation about this, about how we yeah. grew. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, I think making, as ridiculous as it sounds and how intangible it sounds, making really good content is what helps a podcast grow. That is the first thing you've got to have. You've got to have a podcast that people listen to regularly 
and they enjoy listening to it and they want to recommend it to mm -hmm. people. Marketing a podcast is really hard. It's much like marketing a business because there's no inbuilt discovery. That's why people do the YouTube videos right. because yeah. it's far easier to discover a podcast through YouTube than it is through the podcast apps. Mm -hmm. You've got to work really hard to be able to do it. So like uh, first and foremost, make sure your content's good and interesting. My First Million is a great example of this. They just have such a good podcast it is so so well researched people love it people recommend it to people that is why they're mm -hmm. growing so quickly right okay so you could say well james but how did you go from like 30 downloads to 200 300 what did you do in that so right. I, I got lucky i got really lucky um i interviewed uh well i invited Cortland uh mm -hmm. from indie hackers onto the pod and he he said, I don't usually say yes, but I really like what you're doing. This is kind of what we had with the Indie Hackers pod with um, a quick fire talks or quick talks that he did. And so he agreed to come on the pod. And at this time, so this is pure luck. At this time, Cortland was really into podcasting and he was thinking of doing an Indie Hackers podcast network. Right. And he asked me and a few others to join this network. Yeah. And it was pretty short lived, to be honest. We... Uh, so it started out quite quick. What we were going to do is this this group, this network would go on mastermind calls. We speak with Cortland every other week and yeah. chat about how we could grow each other's podcasts. We would have each other on each other's podcasts, help them grow, um, share different ideas and tactics. And that was really cool. But so that was one stroke of luck. The second stroke of luck was... Um, I was the first that Cortland put into the Indie Hackers feed, which is a much bigger feed than mine. I put right. Sabah's episode from Veed into that feed, uh, <laughs> Veed into that feed. <laughs> and that got me like, that got me my first push from like 200, uh, sorry, from about 40 listeners to 200 to 250 listeners. Wow. So that was like a first little boost. Mm -hmm. um, from then, I just knuckled down and created good content and also mm -hmm. i got the link on the indie hackers website which does bring right. me uh listeners regularly mm -hmm. um, yeah so but how do you know you're making great content because I, I i totally understand i agree you need great content so that people will talk about you but like how do you measure if it is or not great content is it is it growing or is it staying stagnant or is it going down mm -hmm. if it is growing you likely have good content um but it, what if it's stagnated because you're you have people listening to it right but it's just not growing. So is, does it mean it's not Well, good? then isn't... Like, what, what, why are people not recommending it to other people? Um, uh, can you do something to make your episodes better, more interesting, give people a reason to share it? Um, uh, have So when a new listener comes and listens to your show for whatever, for whatever marketing you've done, do they want to stay and listen to more? So there's no, like massively measurable way to say is my mm -hmm. content good is it better but you can get a feel for it if people are regularly saying oh my god i love your podcast yeah this is really yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i've been very fortunate i get a lot of that with indie bites and so i think i'm onto a good thing but i'm still not mm -hmm. like 100 happy with it i still think i can improve indie bites mm -hmm. i still think my questioning can be a bit better i still think i, I could do something about the quality i want to do some more in-person recordings mm -hmm. uh, i want to see how i can use some uh different audio elements to uh, help explain the emotion throughout the show uh, i want to become a better storyteller so i'm always trying to improve the content and make it better there's other right. great things you can do right so you need to be sharing your show mm -hmm. where you can where you have an audience 
Um, Where is that uh, Twitter for you? So Twitter, I share episodes, I share summaries of episodes. I also write, um, well, I need to do this more. Uh, I sometimes write blog summaries of every episode, mm. which helps with SEO and searchability. Make sure you add transcripts to every episode because that helps with SEO and searchability. That's a very, that's a very good point there because I have a, a friend, Max, and he keeps on telling me, like, add this transcription to your episodes, but I've never done it. So you can you... Uh, confirm that that's actually helpful to add the yeah, absolutely, and not not just for growth, like for accessibility for people that can't listen to podcasts mm. and they still want to consume your content. I just think it's a, a right. That's a good thing to do. So that's like number one reason: accessibility mm. for deaf or hard of hearing people to be able to listen to to your show. Right. My sister is hard of hearing. Um, mm. she so she can hear a little bit. She will listen to the podcast but read along at the same oh, time. So that's the main benefit yeah, of having I never a transcript. Thought of that. Um, and what tool do you use to get that? Uh, Rev.com. Rev.com. Okay. Yeah. Like you can also do it with Descript, um, but I found it was manual and hard. Uh, I'm fortunate that my podcast is short, so I only have to pay $20 per, not $20, it's like $30 per transcript. Um, $30? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's still, still a good amount. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I don't do it for everyone. I need to get better at it. Um, mm -hmm. and so like th th there's still more things I can do to grow yeah um, so uh, blog uh, post it on uh, my site post it on Indie Hackers uh, mm -hmm. Twitter also got an email list so that people can subscribe to receive the episodes I send emails every two or three episodes that go out and then the final and biggest thing is guesting on other people's podcasts um, mm. because people that yes. listen to podcasts yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are like already ready to listen to other podcasts they usually exactly, want more yeah. interesting shows to listen to so if people listen to this show and maybe they're like oh i'm interested in the show that james is producing he's seems yeah. pretty happy <laughs> happy with himself about it so maybe i'll get maybe i'll give it a listen yeah. um not to mention that podcasting is really fun <laughs> i like yeah it's, it's fun to guess fun. in other people's shows so uh, do, you, do you do that a lot no no i need to do it more mm. um i I'm just sort of starting out with my own personal brand growth. I don't have like a product I can talk about. I can only talk about my experience mm -hmm. as an indie hacker, uh, speaking to other successful indie hackers. Um, and so, yeah. And I don't like actively pitch to go on shows. I know people have been successful with doing that. There's a few yeah. people that have agencies that pitch to me. Yeah. To start on the show. yeah. Um, what is your reaction when you get those emails? Oh, man. It depends. Like I understand why they're doing it. it depends if the pitch is good. Like, I, I, probably ignore 90% of them yeah um they might just not be a good fit or um i i don't feel the story is interesting yeah. but a few have been amazing so uh pierre de wolf from scraping bee he came on to indie bites through someone else out doing outreach to me right uh, funny enough he was actually on my list of someone i wanted to <laughs> interview so it made it really easy for me and then another guy was tom ross from design carts mm -hmm. probably not like an indie hacker but he had a very interesting story he had a battle with mental health and mm -hmm. so speaking to him was good fun and it was mm -hmm. just save me doing outreach mm -hmm. so it, if it's an interesting guest i like the fact they're reaching out to me and i don't have to do the outreach myself but yeah really only them what are you looking for when when you're finding new guests like what, what do these guests need to have an interesting story mainly like what have they gone through to get to where they are it's not necessarily about 
uh, hitting an MRR number. Obviously, uh, people are attracted to listening to episodes with if there's like a nice big juicy MRR number in there. If I say, oh, how uh, Sabra V grew to 6 million bootstrap, they're like, oh, wow, I want to do that. That's aspirational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Sabra is like a very interesting person with a very good story. The other thing is if they've got something that to teach. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, people often have a good story and they would have found a channel that really worked for them. So I spoke to Dominic Mon from Mental Cruise. He has leveraged programmatic SEO. I'd never really heard about programmatic SEO. So I was like, Dom, how's it work? Like, t- tell me. Yeah. And so there's like a mini masterclass in that episode. And so I'm hoping that people will either will come away from Indie Bytes with one of two things. Inspiration to do something themselves or learning a new marketing or growth tactic yeah, yeah. Uh, that they can take away to mm-hmm. apply to their own projects. And you end up to learning that too, right? I think that's one of the most amazing things of having yeah. your podcast because I, I get to, I got to speak with Arvid Call. I got to speak with Peter Levels, you know, one hour and a half with Peter Levels. Like if I didn't have a podcast, this would be impossible, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I would never get this. But since I have a podcast, even though like my, my audience now is uh, about 200 people, so it's not that big, but just the fact that I have a podcast, no one, first of all, no one ever asked me how big was my audience. Uh, and second, then I, I get to ask all my questions, even with you now, like I'm asking the questions that I genuinely want to learn for my own podcast. So I think that's just having a podcast. If you want to learn something, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, man, I, I'm become so much smarter <laughs> having interviewed <laughs> these people who are much smarter than me. Yeah. Arvid is a great example. What a guy. He's just yeah. a font of knowledge. Uh, of bootstrapping knowledge and uh so yeah i'm fortunate to speak to him a few times mm-hmm. on various podcasts uh but the the other like unexpected benefit of podcasting for me and is arguably more important or more interesting than uh using it as for marketing is the network of people i can now speak to yeah through having this vehicle which is the podcast mm-hmm. uh, it's like a networking thing that means I have an excuse to ask these people to have a conversation. Why else would I have asked Arvid for an hour conversation? How else would I have been able to speak to Cortland if I didn't have this podcasting vehicle? Because also it's like it's an ego thing for guests. Um, Like I I love the fact that you asked me to come on this podcast. It feeds Mm -hmm. my ego nicely. Uh, I'm sure it does for other guests that ask to come on. It benefits audience because they listen to it and it benefits them because they get to share their message with Mm -hmm. the audience. Did you check out my podcast before accepting, uh, like the quality or something, or would you just say, say yes? No, absolutely. I always listen to shows before. I, I will pretty much say yes to do anyone that is producing a show because mm-hmm. I, I like I know how hard it is to yeah. get it from the start and um, the work that goes into making a pod. Um, it, it's harder when people don't have any episodes and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah. Um, I'm launching a show. Can you be one of the first guests? So I'm grateful for the people that said yes to me at the start. Cortland, when I was only five episodes in, yeah, said that's yes. amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, like, just the, by the fact you have 200 plus episodes is a great indicator that you're serious about this, mm-hmm. and you're gonna you you're gonna know what you're doing. You're gonna ask interesting questions. Yeah, and you've been an awesome podcast host. Yeah. Well, thank you. How how did you learn? To, to the interview because I started by just doing it uh, and I, I kind of pick up on, on things and now I, I, I'm, I guess I, I've learned uh, how, how to do it a little bit 
uh, a lot of things I still learn and I'm still learning and I will definitely ask you for feedback afterwards. Um, how was it for you? How did you learn? Yeah, it's exactly the same as you. I just started ages ago when I was doing my marketing podcast when I was just interviewing my friends about yeah. uh, how they're doing marketing. And like looking back on it, those questions were really awful. Um, <laughs> now a lot of my interviewers, I, I know what I'm going to say before I ask them, but I'm happy to let the uh, conversation organically go where it needs to go. Um, mm -hmm. I... Like if there's an interesting story point that I want to pull out of someone, uh, I will move past my uh, pre-written notes and move to the next thing. I don't think it particularly benefits podcasts when you have pre-written questions and you just go question, question, question. Yeah, I hate it. Um, yeah. Because someone might have said a really interesting nugget that listeners might want to explore. So I've always like got my mm. listeners uh I'm thinking like, w would my listener want to learn more about that particular thing? And I'd rather ask it and then delete it out in the edit if I don't think yeah, it's yeah. very good than just uh, ignore it and move on to the next mm -hmm. question. Did you ever have like some kind of awkward moments in your interviews or oh. something that didn't go well? I, I, I don't know so much awkward moments because I... Everyone's a human being. I've, I've definitely had bad days recording. Okay. Uh, I've definitely had more introverted guests that I've really struggled to uh, pull stuff out of them. There are some guests you absolutely vibe with. Um, yeah. Arvid is great because he will just go back and forth. He'll ask you questions. He's got a lot of energy. Some guests have less energy and you really have to push to keep the conversation mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. um, I've not had anyone like get angry at me i don't think i'm not yeah. I'm, I'm i'm quite strong minded minded and <laughs> happy to argue back if someone would yeah. have that um I, when i interview I, I struggle more when i interview big people um i think they're still humans oh yeah but i i was so nervous to be the levels yeah, i was I so nervous that. before yeah. i started but then it was super chill like it yeah, was so yeah, chilled yeah. it was like in his bed and it was like hey here's my my hotel room and then we just had a super <laughs> nice conversation but before I was super nervous. Yeah, like I, I just I worry that, like because they've been on so many pods before, I, I worry that my questions won't be good enough and they'll just be yeah. bored. I definitely felt that with Sahil, so mm. Sahil Livinga, founder of Gumroad. Uh, right. When I interviewed him, he was doing a podcast tour, and I was like, I really want to ask him questions he's not been asked before. So I tried to yeah. be too clever with it, and it ended up being a <laughs> mediocre interview. And it's funny you say that with Peter Levels about him like immediately making you feel comfortable when it was a nice chat. I had exactly the same thing with Justin Jackson from Transistor. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, I tried to get him in the show too. Uh, did he say yes or no? He said yes. So that also sometimes happens. They say yes on Twitter, but then they don't uh, follow it through. Yeah. So I have to kind of keep on pushing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess eventually it will happen. <laughs> yeah, keep it. So some people just like they're they're busy. Like Justin's yeah, running a definitely, big, yeah. big business. So mm. um, big bootstrap business. Uh, but like when I spoke to Justin earlier in the day, I'd spoken to Derek Reimer from Savvy Cow, and like I I was. That that was one of the episodes where Derek has spoken a lot about this stuff. He knows it. I I I just struggled to make it a, a good episode. And mm. when I went when I recorded with Justin, he look, I said, "Look, I've just recorded with Derek earlier. I don't think it was that good. I'm a little bit worried." And Justin was like, "Oh, don't worry, James. It's good. Honestly, we're just gonna have a fun chat." And so we chatted yeah. for like 45 minutes about stuff. And at the end, I was like, "Justin, I haven't actually." done any of the episode or any of my questions you're like yeah 
yeah, cool, let's do it now. Uh, <laughs> I've got like 20 minutes, we can do it. It's like most of that episode was the 20 minutes. Of, yeah, um, interesting. <laughs> at, at the end, and then I published the longer one to the membership. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. There's people there are, they speak more and they're more open. It's much easier than others. They're more closed. And, and sometimes I'm, inter I'm interviewing people and I'm they just stop, you know, they, they are answering. And I think that they will continue, but they'll they immediately stop. And I, I don't I don't want to have this kind of awkward silence. So I'm yeah. always, okay, what is the next question? What is the next question? Whereas there's also people that is opposite. They, they, they won't stop. They just speak and speak and speak <laughs> and speak. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Sometimes I try to kind of interrupt them and bring them back to, to the rail. Uh, sometimes I just let it go and then end up edit it, uh, editing it afterwards. That's a, a very good point. Uh, I've had to do that a few times as well, <laughs> especially like when I'm trying to keep it short. And like yeah. I, I've I've got my list of things I want to cover, and I've only got an hour long slot, and they've like just gone on a thirty minute conversation on the first question. I'm like, oh, I, I want to ask more. Yeah, more <laughs> yeah. I think I also learned to just relax. I, I know that. Sometimes one hour is, is not even enough to cover everything. And I like the fact that you can do it in 15 minutes is really, really amazing. And the added involvement that I think it's it's uh, amazing, right? So you need to cut parts. Maybe you need to accelerate certain things. You need to make sense because sometimes you want to cut it, but then it just doesn't work with the yeah, next sentence. Yeah. So it must be extremely hard. So I, I really understand the work that goes there. But I also understand that, like, okay, I have one hour with this person. They 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 have a full life of entrepreneurship. <laughs> they won't share it in one hour. It's okay to to share whatever they 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 have now, and maybe in the future they'll return to the podcast and share more. Yeah, who who is your most memorable guest, or like favorite that isn't uh, Peter Levels? Like, who else sticks out in your mind? Mm, well, that isn't Peter Levels. So definitely, most memorable is Peter Levels because the impact that had in, in the podcast, right? Like it, it grew my audience so much. It's, it's, it's absurd. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think Dagobert is one of them. That is awesome. Because he, he was super nice and it was still in the beginning of, of my journey and he was quite big and he was super chill and we have a, we had such a nice conversation. And I, then I also interviewed uh, his wife, uh, Lucy, mm. which was also a very interesting conversation, but completely different. We went more towards art and philosophy and um I, I love that it was super nice i was shaking afterwards like with, <laughs> with this kind of this kind of conversations we end up like shaking because you go so deep so um, yeah definitely this were really, yeah. really cool the nice I family there <laughs> i agree with dango dango was just he was a natural storyteller like had charisma um, yeah and i didn't know what to, what to expect going into it um but th those are the best ones where you don't expect much from it you're the people I'm most chilled to speak to um, are the ones that maybe aren't as big but have a really interesting story, story yeah. to tell. I also love being people's first podcasts. So, like, yeah. yeah, I've never been on a podcast. I'm like, great, this is going to be the first and best one you have ever been on. I'm going to yeah. make it so much fun for you. We're just going to be having a chat. It will ruin all the other podcasts in the future. <laughs> yeah, also, so one thing that I like, again, I'm always saying about Peter Levels, but is that he doesn't, um, starting a lot of, or it doesn't guess in a lot of uh, podcasts. So I know that I had very unique content right there. Mm. Whereas Arvid is, is kind of the opposite. Like he, he goes in every podcast. So I also struggle a little bit like, like you did. Like, okay, let me try to do something unique. But yeah, in the end, you just have to ask the same questions. And your, maybe your audience never heard from Arvid and they will uh, from your podcast. On No More Mondays, uh, Dan took a break for a week. So I asked Arvid to come on. And 
uh, we just shot the shit for an hour. Uh, like I was not, I did not prep many questions for him. It, mm -hmm. He was actually being a good podcast co-host, like asking oh, nice. me questions about my stuff. And so I like to think we got some unique content there. Mm -hmm. Do you like when people ask you questions in your interviews? Yeah, love it. Love it. I, yeah. I try to do it when, when I'm on them. Like I, I, I prefer being a host than a guest. Uh, I'm just more comfortable with it. So whenever anyone asks me a question, I'm like, oh, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So I, I try to do it a little bit when, because it, it happens so rarely, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. Just now you asked me one and I was like, oh my God. I, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this this isn't how it works. You don't exactly. have to ask me yeah. questions. It's, it's funny because even with my friends, I sometimes ask them questions, you know, very deep questions. And then they say like, what about you, Tiago? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I asked you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was super fun to um, chat with you, James. And um, as, as the last question to, to kind of uh, finish here our session, I would love to understand what tools do you recommend for podcasters out there, like analytics tools, recording tools, what what is your podcast stack? Yeah, okay. So for uh, recording interviews, I use Riverside. Just I I think it's the best out there. But Zencaster works just as well. It's the same sort of thing. Records locally. Uh, I think there's no excuse to record in via Zoom now. If you can record in person, even yeah, better. Yeah. So record with uh, Riverside, and then I edit in Descript. Descript has been the biggest game changer for me. Uh, okay. I used to edit. All, vi all videos in Final Cut Pro and then audio we're doing Logic Pro. Now I just do it oh, all in too. script. So it just, it, the technology behind it, being able to edit in like a, a script as opposed to just audio is so helpful when I'm rearranging how a conversation goes. You edit on text? Yeah. Wow. With the script. Have you ever used the script? No. Oh man, <laughs> Tiago, get on that. Oh my goodness, yeah, I love Descript. Descript is number one most game-changing software I've ever used okay. by far. So okay. use Descript. Um, for scheduling guests, I use Savvy Cow, use Calendly, they work great. Uh, I've got like mm, an yeah. automatic Same. page that it goes to which tells you everything you need to prepare for the pod and then, uh, and then it like sends you the link automatically. Savigal's good. And then when I go to publish it, I use Transistor as my host. Uh, I recommend Transistor to a lot of people. Um, I've tried mm. some of the others. Anchor is a good free option, but I think you use Red Circle. Is that your host? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is that good? Do you like it? I like it. Yeah, yeah cool. I, I got mad with Anchor because at some point I my analytics just broke down and I was I kept on asking, like, what's happening? They they couldn't answer me. So it's like, okay, I'm moving out. <laughs> yeah, Anchor's... I. I I don't recommend it to people. I say, this is the free option. It is fine. The worst thing about Anchor is like you don't technically own your pod. Like I don't know if you found this when you went to... What? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like that. They're not going to ever hold your podcast hostage. But um, there's some... that Just the way they do it to make it okay. easier for people to get it live quickly. Uh, there's that. What else do I use? Just, for, just... for analytics. For analytics. Uh, for website, I use Fathom. For podcast analytics, it's uh, Transistor. Trans Transistor. So trans they they give you also good analytics. Yeah, yeah, good. I, I people ask me this. Too. I, I barely look at my analytics. I look I look at like the trends, um, right? Uh, uh, month over month. But one of my clients, <laughs> he like sends me hour by hour analytics. He's like, oh, look how well this podcast is performing. 
Podcast performance analytics are not like website analytics. Exactly, because yeah. they are being pulled in from so many different sources, you're not going to get an exact number. Um, different podcast players have streams. Some people download them. Some There's different terminology between plays and listens and downloads. So it's not an exact science. So mm-hmm. that's why I just like to just check the trends. I'm focused on making good content. And if every month it is going up, great. If it drops down a month, then I've got to think about maybe I need to change something. And I think all the indie hackers and makers and bootstrappers and entrepreneurs love and appreciate your great content, James. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak here to the wannabe entrepreneurs. It was an absolute pleasure. Tiago, thank, thank you for having me, my friend. I'm honestly so impressed you've got to 200 plus episodes. <laughs> and I can't wait for you, your community, your podcast to keep growing. And hopefully you have a very very good indie hacking career thank you very much and i i will uh, link your uh, twitter profile your course and anything you want me to link on the show notes of this episode so yeah feel free to send it my way this was another wannabe entrepreneur there's many other interviews for you to listen to at wannabe-entrepreneur.com if you want to support this podcast you can become a member of the wb space it's five dollars per month and the link will also be in the description and uh, yeah, this was another Rachel one. Raise your price, man. $5 a month. <laughs> Five. You just interrupted me. No, I guess I, I, I was thinking like, do I do I wait to the end? No, I want listeners to know that, that Tiago is charging far too less for that. So if you want to get to the community, get it, get into it ASAP. Loving it. Because yeah. $5 a month is way too low. And I'm going to have strong words with Tiago to increase that after this, <laughs> after this conversation. This was another one of the entrepreneurs. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>